good position. Affirmative. Negative. I am the milkman. My milk is delicious. Roger that. Okay, let's go. Welcome to the Best Linux Games Podcast. Go, go, go! The best Linux games, the best games available for the uh, GNU slash Linux operating system via the mechanism and distribution network known as Steam, brought to you by Valve. After 700,000 years, the Steam has come to Linux, and beyond that, it has come to Linux in the form of the egalitarian Linux-like platform, Steam, an open marketplace in which everyone, total meritocracy, everyone, regardless of size, amount of money, regardless of amount of developers, and prospective sales, that's right, ladies and gentlemen, it's Saturday, and that means it's time for one thing. It's time for the podcast where the quality goes in before the name goes on. You're listening to the Best Linux Games Podcast, a companion piece to the uh, Steam group of the same name. Find us on Steam, you know. Uh, join us on Steam and friend me on Steam. My name is Scooky Sprite. I am your host. In case this is your first time here, uh, the ground rules for everything that we do are very simple. We have news. We have the latest titles that we are interested in. Of course, features, you know, like kind of in-depth looks or reviews. And then we have, of course, everyone's favorite, the deals. Uh, the best games that you can buy for as cheap as possible. If you join us on the group, our recommendations are curated with the sole criteria of It must run on Linux, and it must be really good. These are recommendations only, of course. Uh, not complete reviews, which generally will follow, um, especially once they get some other mofos on this show. And as always, the content that awaits you ahead may not be appropriate for members of all species, races, genders, classes, creeds, and especially might not be age or work appropriate. So, it begins. Let's get the Linux gaming on, bitches! Hello, friends and neighbors. Welcome to episode number 382. Of the best Linux games podcast being recorded for you on this uh, eve of the end of the world, and world, or at least advent of World War Three, uh, Saturday, February nineteenth, twenty twenty-two at twenty-two hundred thirty-six. Yeah, twenty-two hundred hours. Uh, left coast, Pacific coast, coast with the most crack engineer. I wore Molina over there. In the booth, holding the whiskey sign. Yes, drink them if you got them. Now's a good time. Ooh. Ah, Ivor, what's the over-under for uh, us being alive for to do next week's show? Who knows, right? Yeah, no action on that one. You're fired, Ivor. That means you're useless to me. No action on that bet. No takers. No money line. Oh, no hits, no runs, no errors. No one left on base. Yes. So, uh, of course, make it for our sequel friends. Uh, 2022-02-19-22. 
37. Ha! Uh, yeah. This episode not brought to you by Gentry's Gin or Enchiladillos. It's brought to you by the end of the world. The only time I'm going to mention this is going to be very short. Right now, Vladimir Putin has amassed an, a, a massive fucking invasion force against Ukraine. 200,000 fucking Soviet soldier, neo-Soviet soldiers strong after watching his nuclear missile drills today and if you think that he's just crazy or that he does not have a plan for this which is what I hear from all of these former generals major intelligence you know major all the people who are like uh, analysts on cable news MSNBC, CNN Etc. General McCaffrey, uh, everyone, my uh, ambassadors, Mike McFall, people who have experience with Vladimir Putin seem to have forgotten that their firsthand experience with Vladimir Putin should have taught them one thing: he always has a plan. This, and when someone has a plan and they amass a force like this, this is not a game of cards. This isn't a game of chess either, although the chess analogy applies more. But it's kind of in between because we, unlike Gary Kasparov made this point, unlike in chess, you can see everything. It's impossible to conceal yourself from the enemy. Vladimir Putin rose to power after blowing up flat blocks of his own people using his own intelligence force forces to covertly blow them up in terrorist attacks, killing hundreds and hundreds of innocent civilians of his own people in his own fucking country to whip up a torrent of fear necessary to sweep him into power. He is not an idiot. He's a monster, but he is not an idiot. These people who say that he's a madman and that this is like, oh, this is going to be a catastrophe, but, you know, whatever, blah, we don't understand why he's doing this, need to listen to themselves and think of it from a counterintelligence perspective, which is the perspective. No one makes these moves. No one makes these moves. Right now, it's exact. Perfect time. No one makes these moves unless... They, they're already bouncing you into the end game. And you can't see the next three moves that follow this move. And it's all going to be very quick in my humble opinion and I think it's going to involve potentially um, an explosive and virulent conflict because Ukraine ain't NATO, but you let Ukraine fall, you're fucked. Because that army is not there. It's not designed to take and hold Ukraine. It's there to take Ukraine. It's there to take Kiev, and it's there to march. Simultaneously, alongside of this, I expect to see um, some of the most aggressive potentially some of the most aggressive cybersecurity threats that the United States has ever faced. 
the offensive capabilities of the former uh, USSR far outstrip um, our country, at least, our own ability to um, prevent or counteract them should they decide to drop our grid. Now would be a good time. Make make a move, turn the lights off for everybody, everywhere. The other thing that makes me nervous about this is that Putin is economically isolated. He's one the one big threat that we have to like, you know, lay on the table. Cause we're not gonna go in right now. We're not gonna fucking start a we're not gonna fight a war in Ukraine to keep Ukraine free with American soldiers. And they're not a NATO country, and the Europeans aren't, you know, blah. So one way that Putin could play this is we have already assured him that if he does this, which is what he's going to do, and like any idiot can, oh yeah, diplomacy will work. Yeah, no, it's called deception, idiots. Um, and how does deception work? Deception says, I'm not going to invade. I'm not going to invade. I'm not going to invade. Until at the worst possible moment. It's like we are ascribing our motivations to Vladimir Putin instead of reading Vladimir Putin's fucking motivations. This guy, like I said, this guy's a monster, but he's not a fucking lunatic. And he is outfoxing us. I'm pretty sure. What, they think that, like, he's gonna move 130,000 fucking troops while I'm in Hawaii encircle Ukraine and then back down? Oh, like, what? Like, oh, you're gonna scare him out of doing... No, he thought long enough. There is a plan involved here and my guess is that because he will be... Well, if we live up to our threats and we had better. I mean, if he does this we need to remove him from the banking network. We need to remove Russia from the banking system of the world. They need to become a rogue nation. You know, a rogue money laundering nation that is not connected to any, you know, legitimate financial institution that does uh, international currency trading, any sort of international banking or transactions. They will need to move money in pallets of bills. And they will need to set up like their entirely own Texas, GDP of Texas, size gas station economy, but these are things that Putin already knows, and we're not going to do that, but we should do that but if we do do that, and it's what we're, you know we're not threatening to do that, we've already said, you know, well, and we keep and well, do you want to talk, do you want to talk, do you want to and Putin keeps saying absolutely nothing, he ran nuclear missile drills today so what does that tell us? Mm. What what do you do with what should you never do with a man who has nothing to lose? Think Max Payne. Think the cover art from the original Max Payne. Police line. Do not cross a man with nothing nothing left to lose. So long before, and Putin has said that he was going to do this fucking 14 years ago if memory serves me correctly and they've been basically in a in a, you know, like a little uh, back and forth, highly aggressive, highly defensive uh, posture with Ukraine in the east 
Or like, uh, yeah, sneezed. Um, for like eight years now. It's been a soft, low simmering conflict. And Putin was never punished for invading Crimea. Putin knows that this will require answering for and if NATO isn't going to come to the aid of Ukraine, which it's not going to do, it doesn't look like, then now is the perfect time to begin dropping power grids across the world. Why? And this is the most terrifying thing. This is what I'm really worried about. Is that there is that this is a transient move. Fuck! If he drops the grid in Ukraine alone, it will demonstrate unbelievable uh, well, you know, to everyone except for me, oh my god, look what they just did to Ukraine. Can't function without a power grid. Everyone begins to starve in about two weeks in America without a power grid. Um, And then we eat each other. We go fucking ape shit. In about like five weeks takes before the hunger really gets at you and we have fucking absolute anarchy factionalized anarchy and then you know blah and by the way not having a power grid makes it really easy to sweep a a very very strong focused military force into Kiev and take it leave a token force there to hold it the, their military won't be able to respond. The big question is, will he do that? This is my big question. Because the one thing it's preventing, has always prevented Putin from fully exerting his ability to drop our power grid like a fucking sorority girl freshman at her first, I don't know what, freshman fuckface porno tryout? I don't know what the fuck. It's been so long since I was a freshman at anything that, you know, blah. Um, the one thing that stopped him from doing that to us directly has been his ties to the international markets. The, if we go down, that means the stock market goes down. That means the international economy goes down. And as America descends into, unravels into chaos and the dark ages because we can't replace our fucking turbines so the power is not coming back on communication, command and control structures disrupted for days if not weeks and that's the highest level and then like the central nervous system it'll slowly come back online but that'll be like three weeks before you have military that's able to talk to each other again um you know, that's that's like the worst case scenario. But like all of our first responders, everything that like revolves around like local law enforcement, civil authority enforcement, etc., etc., etc. That's gonna be gone. That's gonna be gone for a while, if it ever comes back at all. And meanwhile, the economy will tank, we begin to starve. And the only reason why he would do this is if he was cut off from those markets. It's his interdependency with you know he he runs a kleptocratic oligarchy you know that's it he's a it's a kleptocracy so he is now content and he was content i think let them sanction me he doesn't give a fuck anymore 
because he's not stopping in Ukraine. He's going to push on and he's going to panty drop all sorts of countries. And he, I, I don't know if it's going to be as apocalyptically horrible as dropping, you know, the great in the United States permanently fucking sending us into the dark ages, more or less, because it takes like three months to make a turbine for one of our power plants right now. And without any fucking ability to move product or place orders or power to run the machines that are necessary to machine the steel and fabricate the parts and then they take a fucking humongous house moving sized truck they take like several of those trucks with clear roads and it takes like two months to manufacture one of them that is more than enough time to take over the entire world so you drop two major centers of finance and opposition because they're going to take away your ability to interact with their economies anyway if we were which you know we're trying not to play Escaladio but Putin has us by the balls so anyone who says that he's just a fucking idiot or that he's doing this out of like foolish pride and is insane doesn't remember how Putin came to power does not really understand Putin's psychology Putin is a counterintelligence officer. Putin is former KGB. Putin doesn't do anything without a fucking tightly held plan. This is, he's not and he's going to do this. He's going to invade Ukraine. So the question is, how does he think what is his end game and no one is really thinking about that. We sound, all of us, the entire international community, sounds like a bunch of prize fighters who are old, former champions who are looking at this new up-and-coming fighter after having just crushed endless Timpod des- despots and dictators and whatever. And then, over the last 20, 30 years, we've had a really bad record of fucking even dealing with them. Like, I mean, we fucking ripped Saddam Hussein's head off. That's the best thing that we can say. We brought American justice to him by lynching him, which is not a great video, not a good look for... Anyway, and so we have this ineffectual military apparatus, global military, North Atlantic Treaty Organization that will not come to... Ukraine's defense this would be a huge huge deal because he's going to go right on he's going to sit there for maybe four or five days after he takes Kiev and uh, Kiev and uh, secure it whatever leave a small residual force there and press on continuing his march west how and those are all nato countries this only makes sense if he has other capabilities and other goals than ukraine in mind and the fact that he sat there 
today and ran nuclear missile drills. Yeah, diplomacy's pretty much off the table. Anyway, so this might be the end of the world news edition of the Best Things Games podcast. The quality goes in before the name goes on. So let's get straight to our top stories. I'm sorry that took a lot longer than I thought, but I don't see anyone who is really... As the need to believe increases, the ability to tell truth from fiction decreases. So as, you know, Poon has us strategically and tactically by the balls, and by us I mean the Western world. Like, he's got NATO by the balls, he's got America by the balls, because there's nothing we can do. Because he's a nuclear fucking power. We want to go to nuclear war. Putin will go to nuclear war. I'm trying not to think about that. Uh, but worse almost than nuclear war is Putin dropping our grid. Surreptitiously, covertly, or disrupting us economically to the point where it causes literal fucking chaos. And that would be across the Western world. That would be across all civilized economies in there is something else that he has up his sleeve. So this is either a demonstration of his umbrella, unfettered power that he said he was going to do 14 years ago. We should have taken him at his word. But anyway, what we, what instead, the, the thing I'm seeing instead is that the White House rep and the intelligence, our intelligence organizations see, and our military seems to understand the real gravity of the implications of this threat, but we're trying not to, like, panic anything, but what I see from the rest of NATO and from the rest of Europe, broadly speaking, is as the need to believe increases, meaning, well, he's not gonna do it, that's what we were saying two weeks ago, and I knew he was gonna do it, you don't move 130,000, now 200,000, Unless he's, unless this is a ruse, a diversion, or a demonstration, but he's going into Ukraine. And we said that that was not going to happen. Now, because we can't deal with the reality of the fact that he's got us by the balls, and the potential implications are supremely grave for the future of Western civilization and life, all life on this planet as we know it, it seems like the European uh, European Union, European governments, etc. are focusing on how bewildered they are instead of fucking figuring out why is he doing this? What what does his endgame look like? What are all the pieces of his capabilities? Like 200,000 troops, yeah, that looks really deadly and it is really deadly full armor divisions, combined warfare, ready to go and ready to sweep through all of Eastern Europe, if he wants. That's terrifying. Into NATO countries. That's what he wants. We all know that. He said it. 
He's told us that's what he wants and that's what he's going to do. Makes a list of unreasonable demands while he prepares more troops after seeing how the first, you know, 50,000, 130,000. Now he's up to full strength, 200,000. They are fueled, prepped, locked, loaded, ready to go. If someone tells you they're going to go, they're going to go. And if you think he's an idiot, then that's how you get killed. You almost always lose that fight. There's a, a joke from, uh, and this was one of my uh, grandfather, my my Jewish grandfather, my grandpa Al, uh, my grandfather on my father's side, who I only knew a little bit before he died. I was a very, I was very young when he died. But one of his favorite jokes is from Guys and Dolls. It's not a joke. It's actually a very profound, I mean, especially, you know, growing up here in Vegas and stuff, it was, it's profound, it's actually pretty profound Sky Masterson says, you know, my father used to tell me the man holds up a deck of cards, offers you a proposition bet, says, I can make the ace of spades jump out of this deck of cards and spit apple cider into both of your eyes do you want to bet me? You don't take that bet. It's a sucker bet. Because if you take that bet, sure enough, Ace of, you're going to be wiping cider out of your fucking eyes from the Ace of Spades. He would not make the bet if he thought he was going to lose it. And he's not making the bet to see that you don't take it. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, God help us all, and hopefully, uh, I mean, and man, fucking poor Ukraine. I have people out there, and uh, big darkness doesn't just soon come. Big darkness is here. Big dar- darkness is on our doorstep, threatening the entirety of, you know, the NATO inter- post World War II international order that was designed to prevent this from happening in the first place. And we have a president who is on top of it, but it does it's not even a political question. It's just like, fuck, we cannot fight that war. We can't go do that. So, lots of hand-wringing and the best, most positive thoughts are that, oh yeah, He's acting out. He's being a little demon. No, this is a war. He's going to war. And he's not going to war with Ukraine. He's going to take Ukraine. And tens and tens and tens of thousands of people will die. There's something else that's going on. And what I don't see enough leaders thinking about, talking about, at least not publicly, and what I especially don't see from our former intelligence people in terms of like news analysis and stuff they definitely are stupid and some of these people dealt directly with Vladimir Putin they have experience with him on a personal level and you know what everyone who's had experience with Vladimir Putin on a personal level has either betrayed their own country like Donald Trump or ends up poisoned like fucking Vladimir Lukashenko or Exiled or sent to prison forever, like um, Gazprom, the Gazprom guy, the former richest oligarch in Russia. 
Now, cons- now Putin's consolidated all of his power domestically. He runs the economy completely as a kleptocrat. What compunction should he have with disentangling himself entirely from a ruined first world as we used to know it? Not much has every strategic and tactical advantage and incentive to do that. So, start thinking about that. You got about, I'd say, 48 hours before we start finding out the answers to some of these and other questions. So, now, let's get to a little bit of Linux gaming while we still have 20 minutes, because I have to eat and go to bed. First off, one of the things I wanted to mention last week that I forgot to mention in our top stories, by the way. I worry you're fired. Last week, I meant to talk about and rant about, but we don't have enough time this week, Lost Ark. If you've been playing Steam games at all, like over the last two weeks, you've seen a lot of your people in your friends list or whatever playing Lost Ark. Lost Ark does not run on Linux. One of the worst things about Lost Ark... Oh, and by the way, I'll believe it when I see it. It's called easy and a cheat is what is preventing Linux users from being able to play Lost fucking Ark. But the thing that really bothers me, game looks really cool, but we don't talk about, I won't talk about it any further than this. The one thing that really, really super pisses me off other than the EAC thing, easy and a cheat, completely unnecessary at this point, meaning that I can't play like one of the coolest looking games that's out right now that everyone is playing and everyone wants to play which is free to play I didn't know this I just assumed that it would work because you know blocks I'm an idiot sometimes and so I bought even though it's a free to play game like you can buy like a a basic edition which gives you like whatever some sort of buffs or whatever it's like 25 bucks that contains what Steam the Steam store calls by virtue on behalf of the developer and publisher of Lost Arc consumable deliverable content that cannot be refunded so I spent $25 and then I found out it doesn't work and they won't give me a refund that's really cool because it's easy and I cheat once again I'll believe it when I see it Um, so that's Lost Arc do not play Lost Arc unless don't pay any money for it if you're on Linux you know at best, see if the free version runs. Uh, I last tested it right after I got back from Hawaii and it does not. Um, Right now, my band, Dracula Factory, is finishing our second album, Your Mom is a Slutty Wizard. It is slated for release at the end of April. I just wanted to throw that out there as a plug. Um... That means, also, by the same token, I have under a lot of pressure right now from a lot of different projects and stuff that are going on, but especially Your Mom is a Slutty Wizard. Trying to get that out the finished, completed, totally out the door and, you know, on the street where kids can find out what a slutty wizard their mom is. Um, First hand, you know, by mid-April first week of April that's where we're shooting for, kind of around taxes where I would like to release right around there the week after so 
between that, Hawaii, and like having to constantly play all these other games, which we're going to talk about in a mere moment, our full comprehensive review of God of War is still in the works. I have not just, I just have not been able to squeeze out the time to finish beating that game. It is exquisite. Just because you don't hear any further mentions of it in this week's episode does not mean that I guarantee you if there, if, you know, in the year 2222, if mankind should survive, if woman is still alive, if the podcast and the internet's work and the power grid is alive, in the next several weeks, we will have a full review. But meanwhile, you sh- if your computer can run it, you should go buy it and you should play it because it is phenomenal. Feature this week is a brief, it's going to be a somewhat briefer feature, but it'll kind of be perfectly, perfect length. Uh, it's on Crusader Kings 3, which is a game that I resisted getting into because it's a paradox title. And I hate paradox games more than I can adequately express in any single sentence, even with uh, all possible employment of grammatically and grammatically correct and otherwise uses of punctuation the full arsenal brought to bear cannot express how much I hate paradox Crusader Kings 3 bit different before we get to that and everything else I want to say thank you to a friend of the show Fageldorf and you know friend of mine for a long time Fageldorf and uh, Adnight you know slash Isconia um, who both kept after me and who both played Crusader Kings 3 so much that eventually I got suckered into it I not suckered into it, I eventually became interested in it and then I became familiar with the premise and thus we're doing uh, my first impressions of Crusader Kings 3 featured this week also of note in our top stories this is kind of more administrational shit um Right now, until until I can rebuild my personal arcade stick, Daily Galaga on the Twitch stream has been, is on hiatus. I'm thinking it's going to be about two to three weeks. So, if you if you are like one of the uh, like three people who really enjoyed Daily Galaga, we will be back. But I need to fix I need to fix my control surfaces and I need to fix the way I'm playing it in emulation because when I got back from Hawaii, I went to the bar and I played for the first time in like maybe three months, two months, I played Real Galaga at my bar on their fucking machine, which is a little dodgy. It has a... Their their technician needs to fucking fix the stick, because two of the... the mounts on the left side of it are completely... almost completely come undone, the bolts, and hold it into place into the... the plate into the bottom of the... uh, Of the, of the panel that, you know, with the buttons and stuff. So, it gets stuck moving in one direction, so you have to overcorrect constantly backwards, left and right, 
right and left. Constantly, I destroyed that machine. And I, it's so much better than when I've been playing an emulation. And I knew that this would happen because it's happened to me before. But yeah, no, uh, I need a better way of emulating the game. And one of the best ways to start with is switching back to a full MAME version of it, not the uh, Namco official release that's available on Steam. Although I do love the Namco release that's available on Steam. I still play it. But I'm not going to be live streaming it every night until I'm getting back in shape. And I'm a thousand times better on a real machine. So we're going to simulate the real machine experience as close as we can. And then Nightly Galaga will return. Date TBA. And finally, um, well, I'm going to say that for next week. I had a website thing. All right, we're basing with a new and noteworthy. We do have a new and noteworthy before we get to Crusader Kings. And boy, what a new and noteworthy. Based him with it, Ivor. Might be the last time you get a chance. I was a North American fall when were in my former life. Here are the newest and most noteworthy titles from this week. So, our... We only have one title in our new and noteworthy. We were going to do two deals, but I haven't been able to play Buddy Simulator 1984, which right now, and this is just like unofficial, it's not even in the show notes. Right now, Buddy Simulator 1984, I think is $5, which is like 60% off or something like that, for the next 12 hours. So I'm going to get this out like probably by, I don't know, oh, 100 hours at the latest. And that would be tomorrow. So that'd be the 20th. So you got like 10 hours if you want to get Buddy Simulator. And I haven't been able to play Nebula's Fleet Command. I just made both of those purchases right before sitting down to start the show. However, we do have one new and noteworthy game that I've spent a little bit of time with. I got to spend a little bit of time with. It is a free game. It is a side-scrolling platformer that is absolutely fucking batshit crazy. If I don't know if Shadow Glare or anybody um, from that from those that those couple quarters of this show uh, who became friends of the show and then you know vanished because wow they're really touchy dicks, real sensitive dicks, sensitive dicks. Um, but if you ever played. Uh, Guns, Guts, Gore, and Cannoli 2 or whatever. Loco Bonobo. That's L-O-C-O space. Uh, Bravo uh, Oscar November Oscar Bravo Oscar Bonobo is in the monkey or is the ape. I guess, are they monkeys or apes? Doesn't matter. I think they're the only ones that mate, the only primate that mates for pleasure, I think. Anyway... Loco Bonobo is a totally free side-scrolling platformer where you... Well, look. I'm going to read the the store page's copy because it's so exceptionally good. This game came out February 16th, 2022. I played 30, 40 minutes. Yeah, I beat like three levels, four levels. Um, But here's what the developers have to say. This is by Dwicko published by Dwicko. There's only one user review. This game came out like fucking three days ago. Completely independent, totally free. Here's what they have to say. 
And this is an understatement. Loco Bonobo is an indie platform shooter with ragdoll physics, gory mayhem, and princess rides. Die constantly like you deserve whilst kicking ass as a lobotomized lab monkey slaughtering a never-ending barrage of evil clones who all happen to be fascists. And what they don't mention is that the princess is this fucking super giant-tated, humongous-assed, cartoon Jam and Earl, uh, frizzy-haired, uh, fucking, um, 1950s-style shock and awe, uh, math teacher glasses, uh, neon green dress, chick, that you ride by jumping on the small of her back, and then this, of course, allows you to when you jump and you hold down the jump button while you're riding her, it allows you to glide. So, they also don't... (laughs) It's so fucked up. And if you free the princess, but she dies before you get to the end of the level, you you have to start the level over again. If you don't free the princess and you get to the end of the level, I can't remember. I think I did that once on accident. I think. But I can't remember. Anyway, the other thing they don't mention is that you're a chain-smoking fucking monkey who has melee attacks, the ability to do slow-motion attacks, and a complete arsenal of weapons all in a twin-stick or mouse and keyboard, you know, however you want to play it. Um, Hyper gory ragdoll physics thing where you are killing fascist, authoritarian um, brain dead like generalissimo clones who explode and die and are you just kill the shit out of them in a fucking Toe Jam and Earl insane, abstract, bizarro, acid trip kind of world. It's one of the best free games I've played in at least five years. Loco Bonobo is free. Physics-based, shoot em up, platformer, give it a try and live stream it because you can... Once you get good at like switching weapons and once you understand that like when you shoot someone in the head, it doesn't necessarily exactly kill them, but it does mortally wound them, but they're brain dead anyway, and so that like they'll get up. That means you can start slowing down time and switching weapons, and so it's like fine. Bazooka up your asshole, kills that guy who explodes into a clot of blood, knocks back you know, 15 other guys behind him, then you switch weapons to slow-mo, and you pull out your, you know, fucking M16, and you start dadding them in the faces, and you start juggling them for fun and profit. Eventually, once their bodies have... Once they've been killed, and their bodies remain still, as shadow remains come for a certain amount of time, they they no longer become gibbable further or interactable further from a physics perspective so it makes juggling them so much more fun and rewarding and you are a fucking badass monster, it's like my friend Pedro meets 
Toe Jam and Earl, like the filthy, nasty, semi-pornographic anti-fascist edition. It is really good. And I, as soon as I get like another 45 minutes in it, I will review it and I will give it a very nice review. But not on this show. We probably won't ever review Loco Bonobo because it's free. So you should just go play it. Runs fine on Linux. Runs okay with a controller. I prefer it with a controller because of my carpal tunnel. Uh, but I could see where it would be beneficial to play it with mouse and keyboard. I think there's also multiplayer support. Uh, local multi... Shared split-screen co-op. So it's got remote play-together capability as well. It's free and it's awesome. Yeah. Lots of guns. There's a gun and all sorts of secrets too and destructible environments. Um, It's a lot of the best of a lot of different games that I really not just individual games but games and game and genres of those games that I really like all blended into one absolutely hallucinogenic psychotic combination of both insane random firepower that's like you know oh oh shit that's what that does okay as well as like highly calculated just cinematic gibbage and side-scrolling platforming ragdoll mayhem, violence, explodey, blood cloud, fire, flame throwing, gun death, with melee combos and action parkour and stuff. Tight controls, uh, wall jumping could be better. Other than that, it's fantastic. And for free, it is like the best game you've ever played in your entire life. For free, it's, I, I will say, I, I, I always... I always think that about every free game because it's like, it's free. What do you want? This is way better than free. They This game should be they should be charging like $5 for this game. And I think they would have more user reviews by now. And they would have a lot more players. In fact, I'll tell them that. Alright, so that is Loco Bonobo, which I'll be live streaming later tonight, hopefully, if I ever get done with this episode of the podcast. Now, let's get to our feature, Ivor, and tell them about Crusader Kings 3. Oh my god, it's the Libyans! The Libyans! Never gonna let you down. I can read your mind. This week's feature, I can't read you. I can't read you, I can read your mind. Take it, Scooky. The Libyans! So, I'm just gonna tell you the first thing you need to know about Crusader Kings 3. If you like medieval history at all, if you've ever thought about medieval history at all. If you've ever thought about what happens at you know in the Middle Ages that lead into the Dark Ages, you know, after the fall of the Roman Empire, kind of not necessarily right up to the Renaissance and the Enlightenment, but kind of proximate to there. So we're talking like Tenth century, early tenth century, to like the seventh to the sixteenth century. So from like nine hundred, nine, you know, turn of turn of the first millennia after AD, through to like you know, sixteen hundred, sixteen hundred. You need to play this game. 
I'm gonna. I'm not gonna. This is not a full review. This is just my. These are just my first impressions. Here's the deal, though. What you should do is, if you're not sure about that assessment of, uh, if you if you're not sure where you break down on like how much you like that period, I hate that period of history, and I I know a little bit about it. Most of which I've learned through works of fiction and stuff, but I did read Will and Ariel Durant's fucking complete history of fucking civilization, all the volumes of it, uh, well almost all of them um, sorry from ancient Rome all the way, you know, blah 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 so, you know, and you get some of this stuff through history class, not just generally in high school this is the most historically accurate video game ever made of anything ever, any period ever for instance and here's, I'm just going to give you share a little anecdotal thing here so Richard Harris plays Henry II opposite a magnificent Catherine Hepburn as Eleanor of Aquitaine his imprisoned wife opposite their children who are played by Anthony Hopkins and et cetera, et cetera very young Anthony Hopkins Catherine, uh, Catherine Hepburn delivers like what uh, I mean it's an amazing fucking movie based off of the play The Lion in Winter he made it into a movie called The Lion in Winter it is one of the most fucked up and disturbing and pretty accurate uh, depictions of this early nascent form of what would blossom from tiny hamlets and villages or whatever into tiny competing fiefs into what eventually becomes the Europe that we know and are familiar with today. You know, like major empires like France, Germany, uh, England, Britain, whatever, Ireland, etc. So, in the line in winter, Henry II is portrayed very accurately as a monstrous fucking maniac obsessed with one sating his own pleasure at his at his whim. Like literally a whimsical monstrously barbarous um incredibly powerful supremely dangerous unbelievably wily intelligent crafty and amoral beyond anything you can imagine type of ruler who has unfettered access to making everyone do exactly what the fuck he wants because he'll have you killed or imprisoned forever if you don't and if you don't like his terms you're lucky that you got terms to begin with then fine he will bury you and take over your lands and you know blah to what extent do I mean this well Henry II you know, imprisons his first wife, <laughs> divorces one wife. He has to get the Pope to divorce him. Imprisons his next wife, 
because he wants heirs. Imprisons her, builds her a fucking fortress that is her gilded cage. Eleanor of Aquitaine. Aquitaine eventually becomes basically part of France. The bulk of... It's like... I can't... Ah, fuck. I can't picture the region, the name of the region in my mind right now. But anyway, meanwhile, he forces one of his sons to marry Henry's own mistress and then keeps fucking her as his own mistress. This guy is a mo- this guy is a fucking monster, but he's the king. And the one thing that he cares about is he sees the potential for establishing a new powerful fucking dominance over the land that would that has the potential if left to the right successor of lasting indefinitely and consolidating power and wealth, resources, uh, war material, and uh, peasantry, and etc. bring greater glory to, you know, to himself, I guess, to his legacy, to to the... It's not, He doesn't give a fuck about the people as long as he can manipulate them into doing what he wants, and generally that just requires him telling people to do things because otherwise they're afraid that he will fucking kill them, because he will, and he's just that crazy. So he is obsessed with siring an heir, and now he has these three sons. And he's not gonna die, like, immediately, but he knows that he is in the autumn of his years. And so he, in the play, and in the movie, he brings Eleanor of Aquitaine out from her fucking gilded cage, to use as a fulcrum, as a lever of pressure to further subdivide in this fucking sick bizarre you know it's like a cult, it is a cult that's what fucking feudal Europe that's what feudal any place is you pledge your allegiance to your daimyo to your lord, to your baron, to your count to whoever the fuck is above you, and you lead a short brutish life, either as a peon who works the fields and dies before the age of on average, before the age of 22, you meet a hundred people, travel less than five miles from the place of your birth and by meet, I mean see the faces of less than a hundred people before you die and you don't have any money, and you're entirely reliant on your lord give you land, give you a little shelter, taxes you eventually, like, they invent taxes and stuff. And so he taxes you for your own work that you're doing for free, more or less. Uh, which leads to all sorts of problems later on, towards the end of the Dark Ages. And protects you from the roving barbarian hordes and expects your willing conscription into his armies all, you know, people of fighting age, etc, etc, etc builds castle walls, fortifications and provides basically the bare rudiments of what's necessary to get by and to force you into making them and to protect you from the outside world now 
Crusader Kings 3 is exactly this era. It starts in Henry II's era. The tutorial is super long. It took me two, it took me like two hours and 15 minutes to beat the, to finish the tutorial. This is a very complicated game. But it is glorious. Especially once you realize, once you have the epiphany. And for me, it happened when I, when in the tutorial, I was going to marry. I'm, I'm this, you know, Irish, I'm this petty, petty king, petty ruler of an Irish backwatering water, fucking redneck bog hopping, fucking sheep fucking swamp dwelling ass end of nowhere uh, part of Ireland and I got like two territories that I can I control and I have this crazy wacky name and that's the one of the, my favorite things about this game is every place every place name every person is real and unlike reading a like any sort of medieval history, which is not fun to do generally. Will and Ariel Durant did a pretty good job of the better bits of it. But the Dark Ages, you know, there's not like a lot that we they're called the Dark Ages for a reason. Anyway, so it was not a time of great learning, knowledge. It was a time of barbaric fucking uh, de facto fascism, authoritarianism, and etc. Everything necessary to keep the bare rudiments of civilization itself alive, which dies and is reborn by the time you get to the Enlightenment and the Renaissance and etc. But suffers underneath the yoke of, you know, one one master's boot is on the neck of the next master's boot, all the way down the chain, this hierarchical chain, and. Uh, Kings and queens are free to do as they wish in their own kingdoms uh, and suffer the judgment only of whatever church they believe in and whatever leadership that that church may or may not have and the uh, moral judgments of their own peasants. But they they cannot be deposed. They, it's the divine right of kings. So it's a completely illogical, irrational era. And it's really characterized by just brutal fucking wars of conquest eventually characterized by the ultimate brutal and pointless war of conquest one that was ginned up by the you know fucking papacy uh, well by actually enough feudal lords who you know incentivized the papacy oh let's have a crusade the children's war so it is a fucking ugly horrible miserable time When you start the game, so like I'm like I can't remember what my character's name was, but and I'm drunk and stone. I'm going through the tutorial and it's long, but eventually they're explaining how to marry my king to someone else, and this is where the game blew my mind, where it where it all came together for me like a thunderclap. Cause like I, I will just say my name was Merle, 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 Irish Merle, Merle, McMerle of Merle, Merle. 
all Merles. Like, it's just Merle, 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 hi, Merle, and blah, blah, live in a swamp. I got two fucking territories. I have two, t- I have claims on two titles. I have two titles. I have claims to like a couple of other areas, but you know, whatever. I'm a petty king. I'm, I'm basically the Irish equivalent of a baron. I'm, I'm a nothing. I'm a nobody. Named Merle, 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 Mick, Merle, 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 Merle. Well, now I get to pick a wife, and I'm looking, and you can sort, you know, prospective wives by all sorts of different criteria. By the way, every this game is a simulation. It renders all of these characters, and we're talking thousands upon thousands upon thousands of characters, all of whom start with real, historically accurate more or less rough values in terms of how they see you, what they think of you, and how, you know, possible they are to be your enemy or your ally. And you can do whatever you want with them. You can run your kingdom into the ground, you can just fucking declare war on everybody and just constantly try to fucking invade everybody. Or you can really get into court intrigue on a level that is unparalleled, that offers you for every complicated, it's not that complicated of a game, but it has so many layers and everything that you do affects everyone else especially the people closest to you geographically um, every decision you make, and there's so many different types of things you can do apart from like, you know, the things that like you would do of your own impulse of your own accord, there are things that, you know, happen, like we got a refugee, uh, at one point I forced them to convert to Catholicism because I'm a papist and, uh, I'm Irish I'm Irish Catholic after all but anyway, so I'm gonna so the game's trying to teach me how to pick a wife and I, I go to this one chick and I'm looking at her and it's like out of, you know 889 candidates. Potential candidates. My guy was 32. And you see on these 3D rendered they're all like 3D modeled characters so you get to recognize their faces and stuff and you come to remember them and then you come to associate them with their geography. It all gets very complicated. But the most important thing is they have traits and they have skills and they have opinions of you. And so I'm looking for the best wife. I want to marry someone who's going to give me an heir who is good at running a country that's called stewardship. And it confers bonuses and perks and stuff like that. And if traits are inherited by your progeny, that means a brighter future for the next generation. When your king dies, depending on, you know, your laws of succession, the game does, the tutorial is phenomenal. It's long, but it is one of the best tutorials ever. Because it gets you very interested in the game and breaks everything down into simpler parts that you kind of immediately forget and then spend a lot of time coming to grips with the holistic aspect of the video game, like, as a whole, like, where, you know, like, ah, it's like, faster than light, but, like, imagine... 
an enormous number of subsystems running across an enormous number of NPCs. And there's also co-op mode. You can open up the game to multiplayer online and stuff like that. Anyway, so I'm picking a wife, and so there's a lot of things to consider. And you can sort them however you want. And I'm looking at this one chick, and I click on her portrait, and the interface is so great. It's very easy to use. Click on click on her. It opens up her character page, and you can see like the details of her attributes and stuff. And then you can also click on where she lives and what what she does. Is she, does she have land? Does she have titles? Does she have claims? Is she a, a courtier? Does she is she a you know what the fuck is where does she live? Who is her lord? Who is directly in charge of her? What's the what are the political implications of said pseudo blessed union? Will she marry me? Does she like me? Is she the same religion as I am? Does she care? Is she of any religion? What do I want to do? Am I a fucking papist? Or am I a fucking devil-worshipping, fucking incest-loving, barbarian, in maniac, intent on raising armies, plundering my people, and looting and pillaging and conquering via falsified fucking land claims that I get the bishop to issue to the pope, and now I have Cass's belly, and I can just fucking invade you, and crush your stupid army. While I crush your stupid army, this happened to me today. I'm like fucking laying siege to this guy's fucking thief, and he is getting his ass kicked. I'm halfway to him just completely surrendering. Halfway is not all the way, though. And so now we're into the siege phase. And none of this... By the way, there is no combat in this game. I mean, it's just like you click on... You raise an army, click on the army, you send them out. The only only real cool things you can do with your army, like directly, are you can build improvements for your units and you can specifically train certain types of units but it's really just one click warfare and then you click on where you want them to go blah, raise all armies it's great, it's very easy, but there's nothing exciting about it unless it's going to be a tightly fought thing or if you're doing a punt fake like Vladimir Putin sort of thing which he's not doing but uh, anyway, so I'm laying siege to this guy's fucking place and he's going to die it's going to take about another month maybe before he will have to fucking accept unconditional terms of surrender to me. And the NPC AI realizes this and tries to have a sit down with me. Tries to talk peace. During this sit down a box pops up. His wife is giving me the eye. So I reject the terms of his peace. I fuck his wife. I throw her out. I destroy his army. I throw him in jail. She becomes my mistress. My wife doesn't know. And then, from two years before, I fell off my horse. And I I got minor injury from falling off my horse, and then I had to hire a court physician, which took a while. My injuries got worse. It took like six months or whatever. And so, 
I didn't lead that war directly. I went to that that peace talk, but I was not involved in that war. The court physician finally arrives. I have all these different treatment options, and I I try to do the best thing for me. The treatments do not work. They aggravate the injury. I get aggravated injury for one year, which is like a massive penalty. I'm about to win this war. I have this new baby. I have a son who has a new baby. I have a mistress. I have a wife. I have four titles now that I'm consolidating power because I want to become the ruler of all Ireland. These are just goals that I set up in my head. Uh, and I got all these schemes. I bribed our bishop. I've curried favor with enough of my uh, enough of the less bellicose and or belligerent of my uh, of my vassals, my vassal lords. Either by you know, punishing them, by imprisoning them, by bribing them directly, by giving them gifts, by soft power diplomacy. So they're not all hating me and plotting my overthrow. My wife is a deranged maniac spy master who, anyway, and so now I have this aggravated injury and I'm about to win this war after getting this new mistress and we have this new grandchild and everything's going great and a new box pops up you have died I'm like what so at the age of 42 my character my first character the game, the character that the game started me off the tutorial with and after you do the tutorial I think you get your choice of where you want to start but I'm going to run the whole run because you go all 600 years it was from like 980 to like 15 whatever, 1540 or whatever the fuck. This means that if you have a line of succession that's available to you, you they move up, they take the throne, you control them. This makes the whole thing into like a roguelike RPG that is set in the most unbelievably accurate depiction of any period of history ever depicted in a video game and actually forms the basis for what I think is one of the, broadly speaking, the most compelling um, educational experiences in terms of the Dark Ages and uh, what's going on in, you know, the formation of what becomes Europe and what eventually Oliver Cromwell exploits and turns into uh, what we know as parliamentary government. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's an amazing game. And one of my favorite things is my, my king, my ruler, dying at 42, even in the dark ages, that's like dying at, it's like crazy. That's like dying at the age of, after falling off my horse. And I just could not fucking get this injury dealt with, and I died of it! I It's like slipping in the shower when you're, you know, 18 in America and breaking your neck. It's like, wow! That's like fucking natural selection right there. But what 
And this last thing I'm gonna I'm gonna leave you with. You can do whatever the fuck you want, by the way. The game makes no judgments on you. Everyone else in the game does. But you can do what you want. And so all sorts of crazy sh- I mean, it's an infinite. I mean, infinite number of insane possible things that can happen. I mean, it's just it's crazy. It's like you're you're it's almost like you're writing your own story, your own counterfactual interjection into history by occupying this one actual human being's, you know, body snatcher style um kingdom and then sending the next 600 years spiraling out of control into directions that, that, you know, are either carefully planned by you or just sheer anarchy into whatever the fuck and generation upon generation you build lineages, prestige consolidate power uh, and attributes and perks and stuff like that and uh, skills and etc. and what you do to the next generation that you're raising is really important because they're going to be you eventually and the amount of detail that you can do is insane but my last thing I, w- I really want to say is I got tears pouring down my face after I completed the tutorial and play- I had been- only been playing the game like outside of the tutorial which is you know the tutorial just stops it's like okay that's the end of the tutorial have fun and so you can keep playing as whoever you were before which I did I only played for 20 minutes before I realized oh, I forgot to tell you so yes, I'm marrying this chick and I go and look at her who she is underneath, like who owns her land, who owns whatever's above her it's a hierarchical land system you know, everyone is someone's vassal ultimately, unless you're an emperor <laughs> So I, I start clicking on all these characters that are above her who own the land, the title, and the kingdom that she's in. And one of them is named Aquitaine. And my cigarette fell out of my mouth. And oh, how cute. They're giving lip service to the history. Because the game doesn't tell you that all of these people were real. And they were. And that all of these places with these forgotten names for tiny kingdoms that once ruled for hundreds of years and wielded extraordinary power, either regionally or whatever, these massive empires, a hundred-year empire is, uh, not empires, these, these incredibly powerful locales with names that are all but completely forgotten. All the names are real. All the names are real. They're so old and they're from the Dark Ages that they're, they're places that... I, so one of my favorite things that, that you've never heard of, even if you've... I mean, if, I, I read Will and Ariel Durant like when I was fucking 14, so it's been a long time, but It was amazing. You feel like an archaeologist. And it's like it's a, it's 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 such a unique game and it's so detailed. But when I saw Aquitaine, I was like, oh, they're giving lip service to whatever. And I was like, wait a minute, hang on. Let's go back and click on our portrait. What's our name? Our name is Merle 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 McMurrow or whatever. So I 
through the booze and the weed, I carefully typed my character's name into Wikipedia, and he was real. So then I start looking up all of my vassals. They were all real. And the names of places change as kingdoms and fiefs change hands as titles are gathered as vassals betray and overthrow their rulers as conspiracies are hatched. And it's just, I mean, just think about it, the place names. I mean, Aquitaine's one of the most famous because of Henry II. I mean, you know, you don't need to... By the way, I highly recommend that everyone will go watch Lion in Winter. It's, um, Richard Harris is magnificent in that fucking movie. <laughs> and Catherine Hepburn, I mean, you know, she's, she's great in everything, but it's one of her defining roles. It's one of the most challenging roles. And she... Oh my god, they bring such realism to it. That same level of realism is exactly what you get in Crusader Kings 3. It's not an action game. There is not much military actual execution of military strategy that, you know, blah. It's more of this humongous slice of foundational basic history that's like predominantly forgotten by all but you know like real scholars of that particular historical period and it all comes to life and you will have such fun telling stories like I just did about how my king is about to win his second war offered peace Says, tells the guy to go fuck himself, then fucks that guy's wife, makes her his mistress, imprisons everybody, destroys their army, and then succumbs to his wounds from falling off a fucking horse, leaving a half-wit fucking son who is even more of a fucking backwoods, you know, pseudo-medieval redneck Irish sheep fucking swamp dwelling drunk you know profligate fucking inebriate wastrel moron with zero education and his daughter to continue on in my stead you have died and that's just the beginning there's so don't think that this is like medieval total warfare there is no like you know you're not controlling it's not um what was that Napoleonic Warfare game? That, uh, game that I loved. Oh, God. Cossacks! Foreign Wars. The first one. Second one was pretty good, too. Second one runs on Linux. Those games are like real-time strategy. This game you can pause at any time. And it's really all about the relationships and diplomacy and the depth. The depth and complexity of the relationships and the decisions that you want to do and the fact that you can do whatever the fuck you want. Cheers, that'll do us for this week. Hopefully, 
We'll meet again. Don't know where, don't know when, but I know we'll meet again some sunny day. Keep your fingers crossed that this isn't the end of everything. Oh, man. So won't you please say hello? Cheers. Later days. I'm weary. And you want a simple answer. And I haven't one. I'm so sick of all of you. I thought I'd come and gloat a little. Mother's tired. Come stick pins tomorrow morning. I'll be more responsive. There's no fun goading anyone tonight. Bastards boxed us up. What's that, dear? We're his prisoners, if that interests you. Why should it? I'm his prisoner anyway. It was, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was my impression that you wanted Henry's throne for me. We can't win, Richard. We've lost it this time. You think I'm finished, do you? So I do. I've suffered more defeats than you have teeth. I know one when it happens to me. Take your wormwood like a good boy, swallow it, and go to bed. I will be king. So you will, but not this year. Oh, leave it, Richard! Let it go for now. I can't. It's not so hard. Try saying after me. John wins, I lose. And what if John died? Go on, sir! Why wouldn't I? A knife! He saw a knife! Of course he has a knife. He always has a knife. We all have knives. It's 1183 and we're barbarians. How clear we make it. Oh, my piglets, we are the origins of war. Not history's forces, nor the times, nor justice, nor the lack of it, nor causes, nor religions, nor ideas, nor kinds of government, nor any other thing. We are the killers. We breed wars. We carry it like syphilis inside. Dead bodies rot in field and stream because the living ones are rotten. For the love of God, can't we love one another just a little? That's how peace begins. We have so much to love each other for. We have such possibilities. There is no Windows version of weaponized chess. Boy, this is fucking ponderous, man. Ponderous, fucking ponderous. It only runs on Linux. It's not a problem. You alienated part of America. I alienated crazy people. I like it very much. It is I, E.B. Farm. You're becoming hysterical. I'm here. I'm there. I'm fucking everywhere. I'm the Eggman. Burn everything incriminating, including this building. Burn all the White House pets, and then yourselves. Burn yourselves first. The best Linux games podcast is brought to you by Blue Wizard is about to die. Now available for the first time as an ebook on Amazon.com. To subscribe to the podcast using a Linux-based podcatcher like Podracer, or to see our YouTube gameplay videos, please visit www.bestlinuxgames.com. Also, join our Steam community group, Best Linux Games, Friends Cookie Sprite, and follow him on Twitter at VegasWriter. BLGP is also brought to you by the Radio Control Room Project. For details, please visit www.rcrproject.com or rfihc.com. Zig thanks you. For great justice.